Hi, this is Paul Garns, and I'm the executive producer on Queen Sugar. We are here to talk about season seven, episode six of Queen Sugar. Yeah. Today, we're joined by two guests that I can't wait to introduce. I'm going to start with the drumbeat of the show. We get so many compliments on the show for the acting, the writing, the cinematography, but we equally get people who are like, yo, the music on Queen Sugar is fire. And today we have Amina Gant. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. The trumpet of the show, I love that. That's an amazing compliment. <laughs> We're also joined by one of our series regulars who has grown up on our show. Now, he was a grown man when he came to us. Wow. Uh, we celebrated his 21st birthday, the first season yeah. of Queen Sugar, Nick Ash. Hey, peace. Happy to be here. So we start these things off. Even though we're going to jump into the episode, but we kind of just start with talking about Queen Sugar as a whole. Mm -hmm. The phenomenon that it has become because it's done something a little different than most shows where we really were able to focus on a family within a drama in the rural South. But, you know, it also had, you know, all women directors and we shot for seven season, which is the longest running African-American mm -hmm. Family drama. Wow. But just for you guys personally, what has Queen Sugar meant to you? For me, watching Queen Sugar is the only show that I can watch where I really feel like I know these people. I feel so represented that I get overly invested. You're, you're talking to the TV, Rob, what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, again, you know, and... There are no other shows that I have that familial connection to. Mm. Profound. Queen Sugar has, it's changed my life. Initially in 2016, it changed my life. Uh, it changed the course of it over those seven years and has given me what feels like a very non-traditional college experience. I was living in a different town, working with different people, learning all sorts of things by doing them. And... Uh, there's just a lot of gratitude there, especially considering, in my opinion, when I auditioned for the show, I was uh, not an amazing actor. I gave, I gave a good enough you know, audition, but I really credit uh, Ava for like meriting me in my potential and being like, I see something here that I could get jiggy with, and then giving me a platform to realize that potential over the seven years. That's what this process has been for me. What do you think, you know, for your character, Micah, who's, you know, started off as a high school student, now is, you know, kind of figuring out his place in the world. Yeah. I used to joke. I mean, you know, you remember we used to do everything we could to make you look baby-faced. <laughs> We'd had to shave him twice a day because yeah. if we shaved him in the morning by like two in the afternoon, the beard would start oh, growing is, again. That is true. It was, it was challenging. Yeah. Um, but you got to really kind of fulfill this transformation of a character mm. from a boy to a, a functioning, opinionated, yeah. driven What's my place in the world, man? Yeah. Um, I always joke that you can tell what season you're watching by Micah's hair. <laughs> like, oh, he got the locks. Okay, season four, season four. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's that tracks the evolution. But um, it, Micah has mirrored so much of what I'm going through. Like, yeah, granted, we are some five, six years apart in age. But at the same time that he was reckoning with his place in the world, I was grappling with mine, mm -hmm. you know? So 
when I look at those earlier seasons, I see this really doe-eyed expression and this person who is in an, in an environment that is so different from what he is accustomed to. And Nick, the young actor from New York had, who had only done theater to that point, was with these big shots, was walking around, you know, having conversation with Ava and Oprah and Tina and these like juggernauts of the industry. So there wasn't too much acting early on. There was just like a lot of overwhelm and what the hell is going on? Um, and yeah, as you said, I just got the opportunity to grow out of that and define my manhood against the real life versions of the characters. It was a very cathartic thing. I don't know. You mentioned your kind of theater background. Mm -hmm. You continued to do that even while we were shooting the show. You, you know, was an actor on Broadway and off Broadway. You started directing kind of within that space. Um, How did that influence you just in general working on a show and, and in parallel still kind of moving your career forward in so many different ways? They really informed the other. You know, I got to, during the time on the show, think a lot about leadership. And if I was assembling a team, what I would want it to look like, who I would want to empower, the way the show has empowered, you know, so many people. Um, the biggest difference, I think, is that in theater, like, you get an immediate reception that that forces you to be a bit more honest and, and pointed with what it is you're trying to communicate. Um But there's nothing like the medium of television and film, which is like, yeah, sure, you're working on something that's in a can for a while and it has a delayed reception. But once it is received, I can't articulate to someone who hasn't experienced what it's like to have someone from another continent say, you have helped me through this moment. The way you have articulated the human experience resonated with me and we don't look or love alike, but we're united through that. That's something Mm -hmm. that theater can't necessarily afford you that is just um, profound and really my only ambition in this industry moving forward. Mm. And so, Mina, the thing that I think is really interesting, like that we can have the the breadth of this conversation where Nick looks at a show, each episode comes to him as a script with a mm-hmm. character that he's been really defining over the years, mm-hmm. where you come to the show, though every once in a while we may have a song written in that mm-hmm. is going to be in the show, but often you have to organically try to make that work, find the themes, mm-hmm. you know, work within a budget, which is always challenging. But what does that process look like for you? It is an interesting process, like for this season, trying to figure out Micah's sound now that he's in this NFT world Mm -hmm. and um, everything is very trendy and here he is jumping into it. And that's a completely different sound than what Micah was doing last season and the season before that. So it it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of, well, what really are these kids listening to? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of research, which is um, actually one of the parts that I do love about what I do. I'm one of those did-go-down-the-rabbit-hole research type of people until I feel like I'm an expert at this subject. So if I get fixated on a particular year, a particular sound, I'm going to dig and see what's going on in that area and then try to make it make sense for Micah. Mm-hmm. Because just because that's what thesis, Micah is the individual that has been crafted and beautifully, you know, portrayed. So it has to make sense. So, um, like I said, trial and error, trying a bunch of different songs. I, I a lot of times watch cuts like on mute 
and just will play the song while the scene and see how that feels. It's mm. always a, a feeling for me. And if I feel like, okay, this could work, and then, you know, I'll put together my options and let the editors cut it in. And sometimes it's beautiful. And <laughs> other yeah. times it's like we try again. You it know? always is beautiful. <laughs> to your point, though, it's so funny that you said the thing about watching the scene on mute, because mm -hmm. oftentimes I'm thinking as an actor, if an audience were to watch this scene on mute, what are we, tra mm -hmm. what's being translated? Mm -hmm. Can they tell that this person mm -hmm. is hurting or in a state of stress or something? So that's so interesting yeah. that there's some parallels there. Definitely. I do mm -hmm. it. I do it a lot. And like I said, I can, I can feel, without hearing the words, you can feel through an actor's performance, like mm -hmm. what they're trying to portray. So trying to have the music complement that. Mm -hmm is what I'm always trying to do. Wow. And is your process always start with the picture, with the edit? Well, no, because a lot of times I'll need to read the script and um, editors will request things for their cuts, which at that point I haven't seen anything. Um, and I will just put together some ideas from what the script says is happening. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, you know, that does have to be fine-tuned once I am to see the picture. And most times that really changes because it's really hard just from the words to know um, the feeling that mm -hmm. is creating until mm -hmm. you've seen it act, act it out, you know, in the whole picture of it. So it'll start with a little seed of an idea from the script, you know, in that editor's cut, but then it'll whittle it down just as the cuts go, you know, <laughs> to the director, producer. That's how my process will go um, as well. It's one of my favorite moments in the process is when we get into the mix for the mm -hmm. first time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've heard it, but mostly you've heard it on your computer or on a TV or an iPad. But when you hear it in the mix, you're on a mix stage with the full out speakers. And it's like the real first moment that you get to kind of audition mm -hmm. what the final sound is going to be. And then I love watching the show on Twitter, which sounds crazy, but I really enjoy the reactions, yeah. like listening and, and, you know, to the show, but watching people react to things. And it's always so wonderful when the thing that we, you know, on set really wanted to happen, the thing that we talked through in post that we wanted to really happen, the, it's it's amazing to see what happens with it, right? Because sometimes the audience buys in, they're like, oh man, you know, the drama, the, the comedy, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes they find that nugget of, of goodness that, you know, we weren't even necessarily trying to point out, but they really kind of stitched together just as an audience member, just the, the extension of the experience for them was so real and so impactful that they bring this new perspective to it. You as an actor, you know, you obviously go into it with a mindset of what you want to pull off. Do you ever find that it comes out different when you watch it? Yeah, I, I do feel that it's sort of out of your hands. Once you've submitted your performance in a really beautiful, like, I can't control this type of way. Mm -hmm. So as an actor, your biggest goal is like, let me just do something that is honest. You know, so no matter which way they cut it, I can be proud of what I did. And honestly, every performance is made better by every other department. You know what I mean? Any movie you see, the reason that that actor really moved you with their long monologue is because you didn't notice that score creeped in halfway through or you didn't notice the camera started pushing a little bit like it's, it's all of that so to think that I could control what happens or I have a bigger say about what needs to make the final edit would be silly we have wonderful imaginations on this show and we use all of them 
Now, you never really get to have that experience of what's going on set. You see the show after we shot it and mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. um, what are your feelings when you see it on script and then see it kind of come to you in dailies and then cuts? Does it match up to it, or do you feel like there's that missing piece that you have to bring to it from a musical standpoint? I instantly start, when I watch it, I start to think, okay, what would make this feel this way? You know what I mean? Like that's just where my brain instantly goes. And and a lot of times because you're dealing with score and then you're dealing with needle drops, it might not be a needle drop. It might They might have put a needle drop in there. I'm like, no, this, is, this needs to be changed to <laughs> score immediately. You know, so it's, again, the feeling. And um, it does feel, when I'm just watching the scenes with no music, it feels very naked for mm -hmm. me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's probably because that's what my ear, you know, is also trained to do. But um, I do once and then I, when I try things out, I'm like, yes, you know, this is this is just going to add that little chef's kiss, you know, on so, what's so already So why happening. don't you explain the difference? Because people may not know kind of within the broader musical mm -hmm. tapestry of a show, the difference between like a needle drop and score. Oh, yes, this is true. Well, so the score is all the instrumental, emotional music that you hear playing uh, during a scene. Um, it's what is really telling you to feel a little sad here it, it it works with what the performers are doing to thread the emotion that is trying to be conveyed um, and it does not have words it's just musical instrumentation um, a needle drop is a song it's our technical industry word for it but it is that song that starts to play that um, it does the same thing that complements the scene. It's any song that you hear in the background of a bar um, at a party when people, it, it, it creates that real life, you know, that what would you be hearing if you were at a party? If you were at a restaurant, you wouldn't just be sitting there talking, hearing nothing. So it's all of those songs. And your role is to really understand what's out there, all those mm -hmm. songs that could be put in there yes. from all the artists that exist in all the world. It's a lot of music. <laughs> It is a lot of music. How much music do you listen to? A lot. And <laughs> I listen to a lot of music, and it's all different on any given day on what my projects, you know, um, are asking for. So some days I'm buried in 1971 for a particular show that I'm working on that's a period piece, and I'm listening to all the hits of 1971, you know, and then the next day it could be jazz. I mean, it really, the work really dictates what I'm listening to on a particular day, and I listen to a lot of it. And you really, um, to do this job, you have to have an appreciation for all music. It's mm -hmm. really important, and a lot of people think that they can become a music supervisor and just put all their favorite songs in a show. And it's not about your favorite songs, really, hardly ever. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding the language of the show and understanding music and understanding artists and appreciating what every artist and genre brings to the table. And Queen Sugar has that ability. I mm -hmm. mean, it branches through lots of different genres of music from ages of music. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's one sound that sticks like, oh, that's the sound of Queen Sugar. No, no, definitely not, because uh, all of the characters are different. Like, you know, I wouldn't put some something some rap song behind Aunt Vi and Hollywood, you know, it's like everything <laughs> kind of dictates, 
you know, where you go with the living. Now, we have put some rap songs behind Micah, especially in this new (laughs) world of (laughs) NFT that he finds himself in, uh, which is a great segue to talk about the episode a bit. What the hell's going on with Micah and these NFTs? Man, you tell me. (laughs) Y'all wrote it. (laughs) Um, Micah is thinking a lot about legacy, right? What are the seeds that I'm planting that will erect gardens I may not be able to see? That's it. That, I feel like that's season seven for many characters, but especially for Micah. And um, because of his age and his interests, he um, begins to know that like you can immortalize yourself digitally. You can mm. leave a digital legacy. And, and that, that really you know takes to him. And unfortunately, uh, he has the artist plight of, do I you know put on a smile and you know go that route and be able to sell my work, or do I try to do something more meaningful and advocate for the people that look like the members of my family? And that's that's like an age-old question when it comes to artistry. Like, but I know, mean, Mike is going down some dangerous roads here. See, I mean. To that end, I think that the the fame, the adrenaline of wanting all eyes on you and keeping up on a Twitter that as soon as you pull it down, there's a thousand new Already. ideas. Yep. You're old news. You're old, you're forgotten. Yep. I think that pressure to keep up with that is what forces him to make some regrettable decisions and abandon the people he was trying to uplift initially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the great moments in that scene with you and Lorna. When yeah. Micah and Lorna get together. And she kind of reminds him of the gift that he has mm. and how he should be using it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even you as an artist, do you find that as a relevant conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something that I'm navigating now as I look to what I want to do next. I just want to really make sure that the way this show has, that I'm really intentional about what it is that I'm saying and doing and lending my face to. Um, so that conversation is so beautiful. And Sharon came in after we haven't seen this actress on this show for a while. And yeah, she was so seasons. in the world. And I remember she called me the night before or maybe a couple nights before and just had so many questions. And like a smart actor, it wasn't like, okay, so um, where are we shooting? And how is this director? It was like, what have you been up to? And I'm, I'm talking to her in my, you know, just Nick. Like, oh, I've been good. You know, we've been down here filming. No, no, no. Micah. What has Micah been up to? I was like, oh, well, he's in a frat now. And I just had to, you know, kind of give her the Cliff's notes. And that way when we got to film the scene, she was just so in the pocket and knew the way that that character needed to show up for my character, you know? One of the interesting things about Micah, and in in some ways contrast to you, but in some ways tied directly to you, Micah's this Gen Z character that's navigating all of these crazy pitfalls, right? The things that, to be frank, most men of color are dealing with in the country, right? Mm -hmm. Between trying to understand manhood within the family structure, trying to understand growing up, Mm -hmm. trying to break away from the legacy of their parents, dealing with kind of this modern American relationship with African-American men in law enforcement and equally trying to figure out how to make a way, you know, in life on your own, yeah. these are themes that are so relevant to not just you as a, as a human, but to everybody. Yeah. How do you as an actor take that from your real life and insert that into a character, but still honor what's written on the page? I think that terms like representation have been a bit overused and misused recently. 
And I sort of rid myself of the need to show up for everyone. I have to trust that my representation, my individuality is example enough as opposed to trying to speak for every single black man that has ever black manned in this country. Like that's impossible. That's impossible. Yep. But Micah does represent, um, you know, that intersection that so many of us have been at where, um, yeah, we're insert, <laughs> insert, just watch the 13th and then come back to the podcast. <laughs> you know, where that mm -hmm. is in every conversation and every work environment. Trusting the words is easy because they seem true to me circumstantially, which is a great blessing. And I also feel that there's been generosity when I can paint a more detailed picture or even widen the lens of the scope with which we're talking about something. And I just feel grateful that that's always been welcomed. You know, I think I think it would be I'd be like, you know, a dog on a leash that's kind of resisting the direction if it felt that it was false to my lived experience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'd be like, well, then what are we what are we creating? Who is this? Who is this actually for? I mean, that's been always the balance, I think, for us on the show was, you know, not wanting to make it a very special Queen Sugar, right? I don't mm -hmm. think there's ever a world in which we wanted to break away from the show's normal language to deal with the topic. Mm -hmm. Because for us, the topics exist in our life without it being a special. Anything, right. Right. I mean, that's just Tuesday, mm -hmm. Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, but I think equally, um, there are things that are abnormal that, you know, we point out, right? So you work on a lot of TV shows other than Queen Sugar. You know, this is a show created by a woman. We uniquely have 100% women that directed the entire series. Do you think there's anything different in the language of the show, the process of the show? And it's okay if you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fine. Maybe the conversation is, we did all that and it's at par with everything else. <laughs> but... Is, is there some measurable difference from your POV of that process, knowing that we're dealing with, you know, topics that are relevant to everyone, um, but we're talking about it in a different maybe point of view? Well, for me, it is different. It's different because um, the way that I work with Ava, the way that it's, it's a collaborative effort and she really has a vision for how this message is shown, it's given, and I'm playing my part in that, but we're working together to achieve that goal. And that does the, you know, every show is different, mm -hmm. um, but that dynamic, I don't experience that on any of my other shows. I'm able to bring a feeling um, that I'm not able to bring on other shows, even though it's always very fast in television, so you don't have the time to uh, sit and, is this going to work? And, you know, play around with it for five hours out of the day. You really have to go forward and get mm -hmm. it locked in. But even under that type of pressure, I do still feel like it's more of an emotional connection because of the way that we do the work on the show. I'm scared of that. I'm yeah. sca I don't have a bunch of TV shows under my belt yet. <laughs> and I just hear from these other actors, like, this isn't always what it is. Right. You might not like your cast this much. You might not go seven years with a good, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting. But I hope that there is some sort of paradigm shift where this becomes the norm. I know for me, I'm getting ready to direct something and it was important to me. It just made sense to assemble a team of predominantly black people, mm -hmm. um, women, um, queer people like that. Just I, we couldn't have it any other way now. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming up behind this generation. So I hope that there is a shift. 
and that you know future music producers won't feel that they can't they have to leave a part of themselves at the door well you'll be part of that yeah yeah and I, I think that's an intrinsic fact right i mean because for you your world was defined by that experience right that mm-hmm. shaped the starting point of the conversation mm-hmm. where a lot of us who were in the business for a long time it was like oh wow that's unique that's mm-hmm. new and i think the hope is that you know it's kind of like the concept of you know your first black president right yeah. for us that was a big deal cuz there's never been one before but for my kids, uh, you know, right. for, for eight years, that's all they knew. That's 50% like, that's of, their, right, right. Right. That 50 like, of their presidents yeah. have been back. <laughs> so I think that, you know, this kind of new age of the concept of how to think about television, mm. you know, in the sense of whose point of view it should be, mm-hmm. how to think about characters and how you represent them or what stories you should tell. Hopefully yeah. there's a, you know, a new generation of people who watch that just aren't impressed with, oh, this was a great way to tell a story, but for them that's the norm, right? Right? Mm-hmm. You set a new norm, and you can only hopefully innovate from there. Yeah. So in the seven-year stretch, your first TV series that, you know, you were a series regular on, yeah. and you've done stuff kind of outside the Queen Sugar space now. What do you think, you mentioned some of the things that you would take, but what do you think would be those kind of core beliefs that, you know, that you would take or add to the process now? Hmm. You mean as I assemble my own sets yeah. and like yeah. begin to work? Yeah. As I mentioned, I definitely want a crew that is, you know, as as we talked about earlier, I come from theater and theater in its inception was to inform the times in which we live. To do that without the bodies of the people that you live around that doesn't look like, you know, Glendale as you walk down that street, it would be not only silly and impractical, it just wouldn't be accurate in my opinion, you know, so I'm definitely interested in doing that. It just, it gives you a more honest depiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times when we see things that fall flat, we like, who wrote this? <laughs> who directed this? And then we look at it and we go, oh, the DP was this person. That's why these people are colored or lighted that way. Like, it, it really makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really about um, accuracy to me. And with my job being about honesty, that has to, they they coincide. If one is not you know, functioning at its most accurate or most honest, the other will fail. And what about you going forward, working on, you know, new shows, new things? Would there be something that you would take away from the experience that you think should be part of the process that you, that hasn't been? Well, I think um, to what you said previously is not leaving parts of myself at the door. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that is what I am trying to do. And I, plan to keep on doing is bring this this authentic self that I'm able to bring to Queen Sugar to all of my projects, you know, mm-hmm. and and let that be what it is. I, I always love in that creative process as we, you know, do the post piece of it and we look at cuts along the way. You know, mm-hmm. we start off with like an editor's cut and then you do a director's cut mm-hmm. and then you do a producer's cut mm-hmm. and then we do Ava's cut and then we do a network and a studio. It's a lot of variations, right? Mm-hmm. But when we get kind of the push comes to shove and we're down to, you know, trying to figure out, okay, we have three songs, we have to figure it out. I always love when I see the note from Ava was like, Amina knows what I need. Yeah. You know, 
give, tell her something like A, B, yeah. or C. She'll, she'll know. Yeah. And you always, you, you yeah. immediately hone in on it and be like, yeah, I know what she yeah. wants. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I do. When I in. see that, I get happy when I see that. Because I do, like you said, and that's what I mean by, you know, having how we work together. And especially with this episode, with the types of music that we were using at the bachelor, bachelor party, I think this was one of the ones that she mm-hmm. said, like, tell Amina something like this, she'll know. <laughs> and I found those things, and I'm so excited about these songs, these Mm -hmm. two songs at the end. Sometimes I get really attached to certain little song placements where sometimes it's more challenging because of the budget. And Mm -hmm. But this episode, the last song, I'm very excited about. (laughs) And, like, I can't wait. Do you have, like, a Queen Sugar playlist for people to just, like, vibe out? I feel like it's so, the music is so meditative and you don't know it's there. And while there's not one singular song that is like the Queen Sugar song yeah. it definitely is a consistent it's a vibe, vibe definitely yeah. yeah there are Queen Sugar uh, playlists on Spotify yeah. mm-hmm. download All now <laughs> what was it like for both of you when it was the first time you saw your name on screen. So let me tell you, I, I remember I was working on a show. It was a TV series called Smart Guy. Mm-hmm. I was a PA, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. to get my name, mm-hmm. you had to watch the show in syndication because they would always like shrink down the, yeah. the credits and you would yeah. never see my name. But my name came up and I remember, again, I was a production assistant, a PA, which mm-hmm. is the mail room of the film business. <laughs> and I remember going to church and trying to convince everybody, everybody was like, oh, you know, Paul, he's a producer. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm just a PA, it's a production assistant. Yeah, yeah, producer. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was super proud that people had seen it because everybody saw it. Yeah. But what was that? What, what are you all stories? Like the first time you saw your name oh, on screen. The first time I saw my name on screen. Oh, I was working on Star with Lee Daniels, shout out to Lee Daniels, as the music coordinator. So I was like on the ground, you know, in production. And I, um, it went by so fast. I was like, <laughs> I barely saw it. It was like a blip in time. I had the whole family wait on it. And they're like, we didn't see it. Did we miss it? I'm like, I don't know. So we had to rewind it and see it. But that was my first time. But it was still very it's very important. Once we wrote it back and found it it was it was very special the first i i think it happened a couple times and they registered differently okay um as a young actor i was like guest starring on are we done yet which is like the tv adaptation of are we there yet my name appeared in that and that was like cool but like not the dream and shortly thereafter, I would work as a PA. I was working as a PA for NBC and worked on their production of The Wiz Live. Mm. And it said, you know, production assistants, and my name was there. And that, surprisingly, I was in the mailroom, you know, moving ladders and rolling my eyes when they would tell me to, like, do things. But, like, that, for some reason, had some significance. Yeah, I was like, okay, like, the credits are coming up. But I remember Queen Sugar, I watched that first episode, the very first episode, I think, with Rutina and Ava. We all watched it in this apartment or hotel that Rutina had. And that was just, like, a really iconic moment. You know, and to get to share it with the people that we built it with, it was special. I don't know. Even even now when I'm watching a movie and a friend is in and the name comes up, it's just such like a exciting. rite of passage. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's exciting. I'm here. Here's my, again, we're talking about legacy. I was here. Yeah. Our great, 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 greats can go Let's through some archive and yeah. say, wow, yep. they were here. All right. So I'm going to try to stomp you. 
I'm going to try to come up with a question that is hard and that will make you stress. <laughs> so I'm going to start with you, Amina. Okay. Now, the good news is that I can't stomp you with any music-related questions because you put the music in the show. Mm. So what I'm going to say is, and this might not be, I don't know, we'll see how hard it is. Our characters, you know, we build these broad backgrounds to who they are, what they've done. Why do you look so nervous? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Hey, girl, she's going first, honestly. <laughs> That's all um, you. What character on our show is a musician? Prosper. Yes. <laughs> you ain't stop me, Paul. <laughs> I was stumped, so I'm glad you stumped the guests with Paul Garns. We'll we be go, right back. Nick. It's your turn. Sheesh. This is in honor of Tanyelle. Okay. Ooh. Who plays Kiki. Hi, Tanyelle. In the first episode that we met Kiki, what set did we meet her in? Oh, my goodness I mean, gracious. this is your, this is the Bonnie to your Clyde. Where, what set? I want to say, and I could be very wrong, maybe I should phone a friend, <laughs> that we met her in Aunt Vi's backyard? Yes! Yes! Oh. Okay, cool. I'm glad. <laughs> Ain't gonna stomp me. Seven years deep in this movie. No, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. You have more stumps? No, that's hey, it. We're we gonna like, stomp what else you. you we got? Got? Oh, what, what you got? <laughs> On season three, episode nine, what's the 15th word that I'm getting? I'm getting. <laughs> what song played in Act Five? <laughs> See, that but neither sweaty. of you were stomped, so there was no problem. Yeah, sure. I was sweating, though. Yeah, me too. Was, For sure was It was a buildup. It was, it had me nervous. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming down today and doing our podcast on Queen Sugar. And it was wonderful working with you guys. It would be so joyful to be able to do it again. Even if we don't, I'm sure we'll all get a chance to get together in the future and talk about what happened later in the season. Yeah. But uh, thank you guys so much for coming in. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, so Thank you. For, for everything. Me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks.